0: Welcome to Catalyst Church. My name is Zach Sutton. This is Gabe. I'm the lead pastor here, and i just like to welcome you to Catalyst Church. Thanks for coming and worshiping with us today. Um, you're going to need a Bible, so please uh, raise your hand if you don't have one. We'll get one to you. Uh, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 12. We're closing out another book today. Praise God. And we are going to start Ephesians next week. So Ephesians next week, if you want to read ahead. I know that all of you do, so please jump into Ephesians for next week's sermon. Um, I need to start today. It's been, a, been one of those weeks here at Catalyst Church as Sarah shared the story of Satan showing up to our night of worship. But then also um, Hannah and Gavin, I don't know if you saw pictures on Facebook, they got engaged yesterday and they're not here, I'm going to have to harass them for that. But then uh, also the, um, the aspect of ministry that's kind of one of those things that um, in the body of Christ we have to fully understand is that it's often the highs of weddings and the lows of funerals. And so this week we also lost a member um, in Sylvia Baggett. And Don't mistake my tears for Sylvia. They're not for her. She's rejoicing. Sure, we're going to miss her. She was sitting right here last week. My fear is this. She had no idea that was her last service last week. We don't know when our last service is. When our last Sunday is. When my last sermon is. Take heed in knowing one day it will be your last service. She didn't know. We rejoice with her today as she rejoices as she took her first step, her first breath, her first look at heaven. She's not missing this one bit. I just got to say that. She might miss stuffed eggs next week, right? Right? But I'm sure those stuffed eggs, she probably doesn't even know what her best meal is yet, right? She's never tasted them with glorified taste buds, right? She gets that chance now. Thursday, October 3rd at Matheson. If you go straight down here past the Lutheran Church, right? Matheson Retirement Home. We'll be there at 3 o'clock to celebrate Sylvia's life. Because that's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate that she is now with our Heavenly Father. So um, we'd love for you to be there for that at 3 o'clock just to celebrate with the Baggett family. So um, praise God. Um, So Ecclesiastes 12. And it's interesting, going through Ecclesiastes over these last few months, it's interesting how on the last chapter in this book about not wasting our life, We have someone who's passed. That doesn't fall like on my on deaf ears by any means, right? Like that is exactly what Solomon has been teaching us through this entire book. That if we're living under the sun, if we're doing the things under the sun, we are wasting our life. That all of it is vanity. That all of it is for naught. That the things that we do that are not for the Lord, they're just a waste. And it doesn't stop here in Ecclesiastes 12, the first half of the chapter, he's going to give this amazing testimony and description and, and artistic view at what it looks like to age. But then he closes it with the entire wisdom of the book, that if in the beginning, if I would have said, you know what, we're just going to go to the last three verses, uh, last four verses of, of the book, it would tell you exactly what is needed, which is to follow God and follow his commandments. But Ecclesiastes has been a tough one, if I'm just being honest. It's one of those things where Scripture just pierces sometimes, and it hurts. And it goes all the way through to the marrow, like, wow, Lord, I know I've read this book so many times, but yet you hit me again with something else that I knew, but I needed to know in this moment even more. So let's pray, and then we jump right in. Lord, I pray right now for your spirit to move. You teach today, Lord. I pray for Dylan, the new member of the body of Christ, Lord. Send saints to help him in his new journey. Lord, I pray for the Baggett family as they deal with with Sylvia going home. But Lord, we rejoice in her celebration. As we know where she has gone, Lord, she will be missed. But Lord, we don't mourn like the world mourns. We celebrate that she is now with you. She finished the race. Father, you teach today. Holy Spirit, move me out of the way. You speak your truth today. Interpret the scriptures for us, each and individual, as well as collectively. In Jesus' name, amen. So Solomon, as we get into chapter 12 here, through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, he's taken this stance of, trust me, I have wisdom. Trust me, what I would call nowadays, I have street creds, right? I have the ability to show you I have been there, done it. God has given me this wisdom now through old age and spiritual wisdom that I can speak into your life and you should listen. If you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about one of the pains of growing old is that you have all this wisdom and the younger generations don't listen to you, right? We have this to pass along, but yet, we still look and go, you know what? I get what you're saying, but I want to try this my way because maybe it'll work for me or I know better, so I'm going to work and it's going to work out for me. I can't imagine how Solomon must feel as we look through all these verses that he's written down, all the Proverbs, all the Psalms, that he's, all these things that he's passed along to us, and yet we go, yeah, I get that, but that's not for me right now. We're doing the same thing. I jokingly talked about Jeremy sitting in front of him saying, I know what you're about to go through. Listen to me. And he go, I get what you're saying, Dad, but I got this. I'm doing the same thing to Solomon. I know what you're saying, Solomon. I know that you had all the money in the world. I know that you had everything you could ever imagine. He had zoos if he wanted. He was a real estate mogul. He had all these things. And what does he say? It's all vanity. Trust me. So in chapter 12, we have the the complete conclusion of the entire matter. Solomon returns to God, the ultimate place for wisdom, and Solomon seems to have grasped the fact that wisdom is a gift from God. That wisdom is not something that we're just born with, right? He was gifted it from God. Life is here one day and gone the next. It's but a mist, a vapor. Psalm 103, written by Solomon's dad, King David, in verse 15 and 16, he says that our days on earth are like the grass, like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it's gone. It is is as if it was never there. To never be remembered. So in chapter 12, Solomon has boiled it down to these three things. Aging, dying, and preparing. Aging, dying, and preparing. So let's read the first eight verses. Chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity." I love how Solomon describes aging, very poetic, lots of imagery here, lots of explaining of what it looks like when you you put or contrast our lives against nature, about how our life is not permanent, but yet nature is. And so I love how he moves from this general description to a more detailed description of what getting old looks like, of what it appears to the world as you age the general description then is described as difficult days or times now as i get older i like to think that this just means i wait for two things to fall before i bend over to get them right like it's not worth bending over to get one thing i better wait for another thing right because my knees hurt my back hurts but there's some things that happen as we age that really hurt that that compound over time And some of those things that we must consider is that difficult days are to come. Now, we might think of it in our youth and go, wait a minute, why would it get more difficult? I'm going to retire. There's going to be less work. Odds are I may have even more money Or then when I get on Social Security. Like, why does it seem that Solomon's saying that more dangerous days are to come or harder days are to come? The first problem that happens in old age, is guilt. Guilt. We have guilt over things not done. We have this woulda, shoulda, coulda attitude, like, man, I really missed out because I made decisions or I didn't make decisions that have impacted my life in such a way that I am now guilty. We look back with that guilt and think, man, if only I would have done this. If I would have only parented this way. If I would have made that life decision this way. If I would have only followed Jesus earlier, the things that would have changed. So the first hardship of getting old is guilt. Another issue with aging is fear. Fear of being alone. Fear of if I'm going to have enough money to retire on. Fear of um, wanting to get things done and not having enough time to do them. How many hours do I truly have left? I considered that when I thought of Sylvia this week. She had things to do this week. But how many hours did she know she had left? How many hours do we truly have in life? And are we doing the things of God with them? Are we filling them with God? Are we filling them with what we think we should be doing instead? So there's that fear of having enough time. And I think here's the one that really hurts the most for me. It's the feeling of uselessness. As men, as women get older, they start to feel as if they're not useful anymore. It's in our culture that we kind of discard the elders in our lives. Eastern culture, I'm not saying they have everything right, but boy, they sure respect their elders. They seek them for wisdom. Now, I would argue if there's elders in your life that are godly people, seek them for wisdom because they have been through it. They have seen it, and there's nothing new under the sun. Everything you're struggling with right now, you find an older believer, that retired pastor, that retired pastor's wife, whoever it is, they're gonna be like, you know what? I saw this 40 years ago. This is what it is. It's attacks of the enemy. Seek them out. Don't discard them because of all the gray hair. Bring them in. Seek them out. When I think of this, I think of all the stories in Scripture of all the men and women that qualified for the discount at Denny's, right, They're in their silver years, but God used them for mighty things. Think about Moses. When I read that story, I think of, wow, this man was like on it. He was mad. He was doing all these things. He was delivering his people. Friends, he was 80 years old when he was called to do this. 80 years old. He died at 120 And guess what? He never entered the promised land. But yet at 80 years old, he is called to deliver his people. Too often our culture disrespects the elderly and undervalues the elders in our lives. There have been many great people who continue to contribute greatly into their 80s and 90s, and some even 100. Oldest woman to complete a marathon was 92. Oldest woman to climb Mount Everest, 73. Oldest man to do the same thing, climbing Mount Everest, was 75. We had to outdo him just a little bit, right? (laughs) I think of this. John Wesley kept preaching until he was 88 years old. Billy Graham gave his final sermon at 95 years old, passing away finally at 99. Don't discount them because they're slower get a little nervous when our kids run past them. There is wisdom there. Think of how many times they've read through Scripture, how many truths the Lord has delivered them. So let's not discount them. Let's seek them out for their wisdom. So in the first eight verses of chapter 12, what we see is that Solomon describes what it's like as you grow old. These verses describe the weakness of age and the frailty of life itself with the contrast of how permanent nature is. We can look out at our our city and see that, you know what? It was damaged. It got beat up, but you know what? It's turning green again. Things are starting to grow again. Sure, there's trees that will never come back, right? But you know what? Nature is taking back over and growing still. The eight verses go into detail describing the falling apart of our human existence against that permanence of nature. And so what are we to do then with this? With this thought in mind, what are we supposed to do with the fact that, that we have this frailty, this, this age that we are going to hit prayerfully sometime in the future, right? With all the technology and all the surgery and medical, you know, and, and everything that we can do now for our age, we can age well into our 70s, 80s, and 90s. So what are we to do then now as I'm looking at 50 coming soon, what does God want me to do? What does God want you to do in your teens, your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and so on? He wants you to seek wisdom. Seek the wisdom. Don't fall into the traps of your youth. Seek after God. Oh, how it would be great. As he says, seek God in your youth. So you don't have to struggle the ways that some of us have. Seek God in your youth. Seek that wisdom. The wisdom that you obtain is priceless. Priceless. What is wisdom then? Because some of us confuse knowledge with wisdom. Knowledge puffs up. Let's put it this way I have so many books. Just ask Sarah, she'll complain to you about them. I have so many books. I love to read. And I, I don't know how many books I have on bookshelves that are here now or at the house. I have even thousands more on my iPad. I love reading. But you know what? That's just knowledge. Because knowledge is what I know and wisdom is what I do. So are you just functioning on what you know? Or are you functioning on the wisdom of what you do? Because the wisdom is found in in God's word and that is the wisdom we should be chasing. I love reading and I love gaining all this wisdom and, and knowledge from God's word. But knowledge without actual application is just pride. And it turns into religion. We must seek out wisdom. So how do we bring a work like Ecclesiastes to an end? As we consider everything that he said, that under the sun, life is a waste of time if you're doing things for yourself or others and not God. Well, he closes it out, 9 through 14, in amazing fashion. And he starts off in verse 9 and 10 with basically giving his pedigree, saying, hey, listen, I'm the preacher, and I want you to know these things, and here's why I'm qualified. So verse 9 says, Beside being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter? All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So Solomon gives his street creds right there. Now, listen to me. I have wisdom. Listen to me. I've done all these things in my life. I've had money. I've had power. I've had women. I've had real estate. I've had animals. I've had all this stuff. Listen to me. The chief end of man is to follow God and keep his commandments. That easy. I almost wish you would have started the book that way, right? And we could have been done months ago, right? But no. He had to go through because why? We're thick-headed. Because we would say, all right, I get that that's it, but what about if I have all the money in the world? He says, you know what? I've had all the money in the world. It's not going to fix it. Then there's the man that would go, you know what? Maybe if I had more wives. No, I had plenty of wives. It doesn't fix it either. You see why he had to do this? We're thick-headed. That's why Paul, when he writes letters, he says, these are the sins that I see in the people, right? And we go, okay, there's the list. None of mine are on there. And then he says, or anything like these. Dang it. Right? Like, he got me there, too. Because I would sit there and justify the sin that wasn't listed. That's why Solomon had to take us through 12 chapters to finally say, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. Because in light of everything we just read, that is how you get past all of this hurt. All these hurts, habits, and hang-ups that are in life. Fear God and keep his commandments. And I love... The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. If you don't know what a goat is, it's a sharpened stick that a shepherd uses to hit in the hind end of a sheep to get it to go the right way. The words of the wise are like goads. The Lord's words sometimes we don't like it, but sometimes you guys and I need a sharp stick in the butt to get moving in the right way. Let's be honest. I think of it this way. I had goats at my house to get them most of the time to go to where I wanted because they were stubborn. I had to hit them with a stick to get them to move. I think of the shock collar. I haven't told my family this. We bought a shock collar, a new puppy, trying to get them. I shocked myself the other night with it. (laughs) And let's put it this way. I listened to myself at that point, and I got in the house. But you know what? Sometimes we need a spiritual shock collar to get on the right path. We're just thick headed, and you know what? We're just sinners. And we like to stray from time to time thinking we know what we're doing. I don't need to read God's word today. I got it. I don't need to read God's word today because I know what I'm doing. And we need that shepherd to just be like, you know what? You're acting like an idiot. Get back to where you're supposed to be. We're laughing, but I need it too. It's not that the shepherd's cruel, it's that he knows where that is headed. Oftentimes, when I know that God has hit me with something, I was headed towards a cliff that I didn't want any part of, but I didn't see it. The shepherd did. And he said, you need to get back in line and going where I told you to. And I got to tell you, there's times in my life where I'm thankful that I listened early. I have no idea what it would have looked like if I kept disobeying God. I know when God called us to come back to Florida, I remember looking at Sarah. She thinking I was crazy because I said, hey, God has said to move back to Florida and quit my job. My answer to her when she said, are you crazy? She she said that to me. I said, you know what? I don't know what my big fish looks like. And I don't want to end up like Jonah, disobeying God. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if God swallows up people anymore in big fish, but I do know that at times we end up in the belly of a big fish in ways that we never thought we would be. And we get spit up right where God wanted us to be in the beginning, and if we would have just went, it would have been so much easier. And sometimes, actually almost every time I read the Lord's word, it is like a goad smacking me in the behind so that I get where he wants me to be. And it's not because he doesn't love me. It's because he loves me so much he doesn't want to see me fail in those ways anymore. Reading God's word hurts sometimes. And when I think of Solomon and his pedigree here, his, his street creds, if you will, I think of this. When we read God's word, we trust, I trust that these men were inspired by God, that this is a godly, this is not just something that man created and published and now we read it. This is by God that it's here today. And so when I read these words, I go, you know what, I trust this. No different than when the, the doctor or the, the nurses called and said, do you want a male or female cardiologist to meet? I said, I want a competent one. <laughs> I want one with a pedigree. I want one with a degree that knows what they're talking about. Or when I sit in the back of an airplane, I trust that that pilot knows how to fly that thing. I trust that. So we have to trust that Solomon, as he says, I have done all these things in life, and I know that it's a waste of time. Fear God and keep his commandments. So what does fearing God look like? Sometimes we think fearing God because he's gonna shoot down wrath. Yes, he is a wrathful God. Please do not let that escape you. He is wrathful. Like Sarah said today, there's thousands of people outside these walls that don't know Jesus Christ. I'd like to say there's no one in here, but you know what? Odds are there's someone in here today that as I spoke about Sylvia not knowing that was her last service, there's someone in here today that does not know Jesus Christ and they're gambling with their eternity. If that's you, stop gambling with something that is eternal. Jesus is calling you. You're in here today because someone invited you. You're in here today because you just walked in here for some reason. You're in here today because you thought, Potluck was today, but hey, there's five Sundays. Whatever it is, that's not a gamble that I'm, I don't want to take that gamble. Wisdom from the Lord is often painful. Sometimes I like to just sit and I, and I read, and like I said, I love to read and I study his scriptures, and there's times where I've read over so many words of, of the Lord and it all of a sudden, there's new revelation. Like, I never knew that was there. Like, how did I even get past that? But here's the issue when we read God's word, it reveals to us in that moment the things we're struggling with, the things that friends are struggling with. But let me urge you this don't think you're just reading scripture so you can point out everyone else's sin. First look in the mirror. Let it speak to you before you go into the binoculars and start pointing out to everybody else. Verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, good or evil. Proverbs 1, 7 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. So what does fear the Lord mean then? I found this amazing quote from a theologian and professor, William Eisenhower. He said this, Unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat and that God's function is to offset it. How different this is from the biblical position that God is far scarier than the world. When we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give it unwarranted power. For in truth, the world's threats are temporary. When we expect God to balance the stress of the world, we reduce him to the world's equal. As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. He rescues me from the delusions so he may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me up again. He sits in judgment of my sin but forgives me nevertheless. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. Fear the Lord is a recognition that he is in control. He is sovereign that even while you were still a sinner, he sent his son to die for you. We should fear he who can take our eternity, not he who can ruin the flesh. To fear the Lord is to consider him above all else. So how does this look in practical application? I think of it this way. Who do you fear? Who do you simply require the approval of? Whose praise of of you means the world to you? Whose criticism or rejection of you would destroy you? Which person or persons are you different around, adjusting yourself to fit their expectations, becoming who they want you to be? Who do you sin for? Ouch. These questions here are here to help us uncover areas in our life Nowadays, we would call it codependence, that we seek out people to make us feel better. We seek out people that we can be different around. We seek out people that we can fix. So in any given given circumstance, ask these questions. Write these down on your card. There's four of them, and I want to know which one of them you struggle with so I can pray with you. If it's all four, just put all four. That's fine. There's times in my life where I struggle with all four. But as we leave here today, this is what I want you to think about. In light of Ecclesiastes, in light of biblical decision-making, in light of all that we had just said, in light of what the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now, every week someone comes to me and says, I loved in your sermon when you said this. And I go, man, you know what? I didn't say that. That was the Holy Spirit actually speaking to you. It's powerful. So, the first one is when you're in a circumstance and you're trying to figure out what to do, what does Scripture say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about that circumstance specifically? What does the Bible say? The second one, what does wise counsel say? I need you to listen to me. Wise counsel. What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. So don't just seek out average Joe Schmoe, who you met on the street. If he's not a believer, he's not wise counsel. If you're still going to bars, the guy sitting next to you, the woman sitting next to you is not wise counsel, right? I'm being serious. I, I used to make decisions sitting at the bar. That's not it. The third one, how can I best glorify God in this situation? Who? Boy, that would have fixed a lot of messes for me early on in life, right? How, is, how can I glorify God in this situation? So we have, what does the Bible say? Who can be wise counsel for me? How can I best glorify God in this situation? And fourth, and definitely not least, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? I'll go over them again. What does the Bible say? Who can be wise counsel for me? How can I best glorify God in this situation? And what does God want me to do? I would love for you to put down, if there's any of those that you struggle with, put it on your prayer request this week. Put them in the mailboxes in the back and I'd love to pray over them for you. I struggle with those from time to time. Wise counsel, for whatever reason, is one that often escapes me. I don't know why, it just, I'll I'll do the others. I'll pray, I'll seek out God and how to glorify God and then I don't seek out wise counsel. Don't understand it. That's something I need to work in. How can we pray for you this week in that? And how can we, in light of Ecclesiastes 12, how can we look to God's word even when it hurts, even when it's that sharp stick, how can we just love that? I I think of that when, when the Lord smacks you and says, no, you need to get back in alignment. No matter what it is, There's so many here today, they're going to leave here and go and sin as if none of this ever happened. But the Lord is saying, no, I am calling you to something more. I'm calling you to holiness. I'm calling you to righteousness. I'm calling you to Christ's image. You don't have to keep sinning like that. You don't have to keep getting drunk. You don't have to keep abusing your spouse. You don't have to keep sleeping with someone that's not your spouse. You don't have to do the things this world tells you to do. You need to do what I tell you to do, because that's what God says. And he's calling you to something greater. You don't have to stay in the muck and the mire. He is calling you to be a vessel for holiness and righteousness. I don't understand it. One day when I'm in heaven, I probably won't even ask that question because I'm not going to care anymore. But in that moment right now, I don't get it. But what I do know is God's word is truth. It's the barometer of truth. And if what he says in here is truth, we are called to something greater. And we are dragging Jesus through some junk in our lives that don't need to be there. And it's not Satan that's making you do it most times. It's your flesh. You're at war with your flesh. Crucify it. Die to yourself. Start loving God and serving others. You know, when Sarah was sharing that story about the young man saying, my name is Satan, and I said, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. And you want some pizza? I Believe it or not, I said that. It's interesting, though. Earlier in the week, we were going through a theology class, or theology group, and we were studying what to do when faced with demonic spirits. And in it, he was talking about, this is what you need to do to rebuke them. And I actually did expect, he didn't say rebuke him and then offer him pizza, but (laughs) it really brought to light, friends, this is happening. This isn't something we read about as if it's history, and then we go about our life as if there aren't satanic forces and demons around, right? This is happening. And I believe here in the American church, we just pretend like it's not. There is oppression. There is spiritual influences Combined with our flesh, that caused us to do some really stupid things. And every once in a while, we need that sharp stick in our behind to get us back in alignment. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we rebuke the demonic forces, the oppression that is around us. We don't do it in our own power because we have no power. But we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So Lord, rebuke them. That word rebuke, Lord, we often think of it as a negative thing, as if it's just some kind of stern chastising. But Lord, rebuke is your wrath. So we ask that your wrath be poured out on the spiritual forces, the principalities, the rulers of the air. We say that that demon, Satan, you have no place here. And we rebuke it. Not in our name, but Jesus' name. Father, right now, if there's anyone that is is under oppression in this room, that, that thinks they have tomorrow to come to salvation, I pray right now that you replace their heart with one of flesh. You indwell them with the Holy Spirit. And if that is you today, I pray that you pray along with me, Lord, Jesus, I trust that you are my Savior, that you forgive my sins That you rose on the third day, defeating death, and now I have eternal life with you. Father, for all of us, I pray right now that we lean on you, that we trust you above all else, that we stop doing things under the sun for vanity, but that we trust you and we look over the sun, we look to the sun, and proclaim his name to all the nations. And that we serve him all the days of our lives, fearing God and keeping his commandments. In Jesus' name, amen.